Sorry, there's a big storm apparently in my area. So if you hear thunder and lightning, <laughs> oh. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm under any, any like crisis watch. But if you hear a big boom or something, that apparently is what that is. I just know. Well, we're going into the fight scene, so it's kind of appropriate. Yes. Right. Okay. I was about to ask, did Superman fly by breaking the sound barriers? everybody, Magnus here. Just by way of introduction, I just want to let you guys know what you're about to hear. A while ago, I started a, a, a retrospective about Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice with John M. Wilson and Rebecca Johnson, and the recording went long, like really long, almost six hours. And so there's no way I wanted to force a six-hour podcast on each of you. So basically what I decided to do was divide this episode up into smaller, more easily digestible, bite-sized nuggets, and hopefully that would be, I don't know, hopefully that would be a little bit more tolerable. So anyway, so that's that. Basically, I'm going to pass you guys back to, well, myself, John, and Rebecca, and we're going to resume the discussion about Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the ultimate cut. Side note, I love that aspect of the flying in this film, that he's always like, you know, the little sonic booms, the little clouds around him. I love that. Anyways. Me too. Um, yeah, and that was basically what I had. So, um... I, and... There was one thing that Rebecca said that I wanted to just kind of spin off of just for a second. Go right um, ahead, please. I... Lex Luthor's whole point in the trap that he has laid for Superman is to illustrate that Superman is flawed or in one sense of the word that he is human and therefore not worthy of all this respect and maybe even worship that he gets from the people. And so his plan is to show that Superman is only human. And yet Lex Luthor's plan fails because of Batman recognizing that Superman is only human. And that brings out the humanity in himself and I think that those those you know those two the, the the multifaceted humanity of the situation being both the linchpin of the plan and the way the plan fails is fascinating. Anyway, yes, I, I would one hundred percent agree with that, John. I think that's awesome because the the fact that I, I don't think he was counting uh, Lex wasn't counting on the fact that Batman or Bruce would change his mind. I think he was counting on the fact that he had done all the groundwork to make Batman ticked to the point where he would want to kill Superman. And the whole, the the Martha thing is so important because that is what comes into play and makes Bruce use his free will as it, as it were. He's not just a pawn in that scene. He's a human being who has thoughts and, and feelings of his own that Lex can't manipulate. And that's what changes his mind is that he connects to Superman in that moment. And I, I really do like that because the whole movie, Lex is able to move all of his little chess pieces exactly the way he wants to. And the free will aspect of Bruce Wayne is what he did not count on. So I like that a lot. And another kind of neat thing about this is that Lex rolls two grenades uh, out into the middle of all of this where 
he reveals that he knows that Clark Kent is Superman and that Bruce Wayne is Batman. So, whichever one of you wants to run with this, like, what do you think about that? Like, the idea that, you know, this isn't... Usually whenever somebody finds out a secret of that magnitude, that's usually their death warrant. Not happening here. So, what we have here is one of the main villains of the entire DC universe discovering some very sensitive information. I don't think this has ever really been done before. And he's apparently got the goods, not only on those two, but the entire Justice League as well. What do you guys think about that? I actually really like that in terms of the Lex Luthor character, because especially the the version that is depicted in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, because he is a character driven by his need for power and knowledge. And to know, and I hope I'm answering the, the right question that you're asking, mm-hmm. is that he... Um, the fact that he knows their identities and he knows everything about them, like on that that tower, that Les Corp tower scene, he knows Clark's middle name. He knows his, where his mother it works. Like he knows everything about him. And uh, I think Lex would never want to give that information away. He would never spill the beans because he wants to have all of that power to himself. So I actually really like that in, in terms of the Jesse Eisenberg Lex Luthor is that he he wants to accumulate all the power and the, the knowledge that he can, and that would include all of, the, all of the Justice League's identities. I think it helps to illustrate just how far-reaching this Lex is. Um, you know, once you've seen the film and you're paying attention, or you've seen it two or three times, whatever, um, you realize that the every single scene almost has Lex Luthor driving it. Right. It would not make sense, it, it, or rather, it completely makes sense in that context that he knows their identities, and that he mm-hmm. has known their identities since before we ever set foot in the theater to watch the film. You know, he, before the first present-day scene happens, Lex already knows what he wants to accomplish. Um, he was just waiting for a big enough chunk of kryptonite to set it all into motion. Uh, so, yeah. As far as it having never been done before, uh, when you said that, I immediately, my brain tries to, because only the Sith deal in absolutes, so I was trying to find some case in my brain of where that has been done before, and I, I, I can't really think of one. Now, there's a lot of modern Superman that I haven't read, but um, I don't know of any, like, big versions of Superman or Batman where someone knows everything and they're going to use it. And maybe it's the sort of storytelling that you can only really do in film Mm -hmm. because film versions of these stories have a certain finality to them, um, which is why the Joker dies at the end of Batman and the Joker dies at Mm -hmm. the end of the dark Knight rises. And, um, you know, the penguin dies at the end of the, um, Batman Returns, just all this, there, there's always a finality to the villain at the end of the story. And although Lex Luthor evidently is going to continue somehow into the universe, um, we are telling a one and th- this, this is the Batman Superman story we're getting. And so it's going to have a certain amount of non open endedness to it. Right. But you have to have <clears throat> in comics that you don't want to have in film. Right. Yeah, I agree my, with that. It, what, I'm sorry. My, my question was going to be, how much do we think Perry knows? <clears throat> well, in in this movie, at least at this point, at the moment that Superman is on the roof with Lex, I wouldn't be surprised 
if Perry was still in the dark. If somebody were to tell me after by the time that credits have rolled for this movie that Perry's in the know, I don't have any reason to to argue that too much. What I will say is, you know, I'm convinced it's never actually outright said in any of the seasons of Lois and Clark, but I'm convinced that at some point in the, maybe in the first season or maybe in the second season, Perry White figured it out. There's, I mean, he's too good at what he does and he was too involved in Clark's life not to put the pieces together. Whereas Perry, as he's shown in Man of Steel and uh, Batman v Superman, there's a lot more distance between the two of them. They're not exactly, you know, going to basketball games together, you know? And so I, I could see him, even, maybe even after credits have rolled for this movie, not knowing. But I could also see the argument that he does know. So I, don't, so I guess my answer is I could see it either way, at least for this movie. The reason I, I mentioned it... Oh, sorry, Rebecca. I personally think that Perry White knows that Clark is Superman in the DC Extended Universe. Why? Why? Um, well, I agree with your point that Perry White is too good of uh, of a journalist, of a head of a newspaper, that I think he would piece it together. If Lois pieces it together, if Lex pieces it together, I do think that he would understand that, especially because Lois and Clark have become – and this is kind of vague because I don't know that they show it a ton. Uh, they don't explicitly state that like the people at the Daily Planet know that Lois and Clark – are romantically involved. Um, I don't know if that is shown so much at work, uh, but I think if they made the connection between uh, Lois and Clark at work and then Lois's dealings with Superman, I think that's pretty easy to connect. And also Perry and Ginny and Steve saw Lois kissing Superman at the end of Man of Steel. So I just, I, I just have a feeling like he knows, but I think, I think you're right. Like either way it could work no matter what story they wanted to tell. Yeah, the, the reason I, I mentioned it is there's the sequence. Um, it's after um, the Luthor. I'm pretty sure it's after he saves Lois. And Lois goes back to the planet building and asks for a helicopter to get to Gotham City. And um, Perry knows that Lois and Clark are a couple, I'm sure. There's no reason to keep that a secret. Um, and then whenever she asks for a chopper to go and save Superman, he's like, you can get your story some other way. And she says, it's not for a story. I need to go. Basically, I need to get over there and do this. And he lets her go. Yeah. So maybe it's whether it dawned on him before or not. I think at that point in time, um, there might be some conclusions that he's yeah. drawing. Okay. All right. Well, and the thing is, I mean, he's a smart guy. So, I mean, you, you almost have to ask how much, like how much evidence would, you know, the average man on the street need? Probably a lot. Maybe even an outright confession before they believe it. But how much evidence would Perry friggin' White really need? I don't, I mean, he's probably not exactly like on the same level as a police investigator, but he's not stupid either. So I don't know. I, I could, I could totally, and especially when you put it that way, I could, I, I could see it. So and right. I, I, I do now that we're, now that we're talking about this, I remember there was I think it was an interview with Conan, like all of the cast of Batman v Superman, including Lawrence Fishburne, was there. They did an episode of Conan, and I think Conan even asked him like, "Hey, does Perry know?" And and Lawrence Fishburne said something like, 
he doesn't care. Like, like Perry White doesn't care if Clark is Superman or not. He just needs Clark to write that sports article that he told him to write. So I like the idea of Perry White being like, oh, that's a really big thunder crash. I don't know if you all heard that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I'm OK. Uh, but I like the idea that Perry White, that's not even on his radar. He doesn't care if Clark is Superman or not. He just wants that article written. So that's that's what I'm gonna, I'm going to go with that with the Lawrence Fishburne interview that he he doesn't know he doesn't care. <laughs> All right. Well, there's there's one other really neat aspect of <clears throat> of this uh, rooftop scene that I that I just really like. Superman, when he finally figures out what Lex is up to, he says in a he's not sneering about it really, but he. He's, he says in this kind of scornful, dismissive tone, he's, uh, he's talking about Batman. He says, what, you think I'll fight him for you? And you kind of get the idea that, yeah, Superman takes Batman very seriously. And he knows he's going to have to settle accounts with Batman sooner or later. But that's going to be on Superman's own schedule. He's not going to do it just because Lex Luthor wants him to do it. And I kind of like that. That there is a there's there's principle that's going on here. It, if I'm going to do this, I do it for the right reasons. I'm not going to do it just because you're a jerk. And like I say, not no really deeper substance to that. I just wanted to throw that out there just because I like that moment. Yeah, it is it is a good moment. And the other thing, only other thing I had about the rooftop is um, whenever he pulls out the pictures of Clark's mom. Yeah. And I immediately thought of the line from Man of Steel. You think you can threaten my mother? Yeah. Oh, see, I I, I arranged that one. Yes, um, that, that was a, that, that was a thunder crash on cue, uh, ready, ready for you to drop a ball. Drop the and ball. Uh, and that's when uh, Superman flies off and tells Lois, nothing stays good in this world. He's feeling trapped and manipulated into now he has to go beyond what he is realizing is good. He has to go in f- to save someone. He has to kill someone and he is not okay with that, but he doesn't see a way out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I th- well, and the thing is, I think he kind of does, but he just doesn't seem to think it's very viable. I've got to get him to help me. He, he says that, you know, uh, or he has to die. Mm-hmm. But it's like either way, Superman's imposing his will upon Batman. And, you know, he can't ask, you know, Batman for help just because he's got to ask Batman for help specifically to save his own mother. You know, he can't ask him for help because it's the right thing to do. Maybe he should offer Batman a little bit of friendship, you know, and it's it's killing him. You know, like the idea that I can't be all good and I know I'm not all powerful, so whoa boy what a bad day this turned out to be yeah so yeah this is a really good and like the thing about it is it's like this scene it's not every single uh, uh burn age superman versus lex rooftop confront uh confrontation we ever read in comics it's not every single one of those and yet it kind of is you know i mean i don't think we're, we're likely to see another scene like this in the future you know exactly like this and it's like, on the one hand, yeah, that's kind of sad. But on the other hand, you know, how many do you really need? You know, 
but uh, I don't. This is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. You know, the music is perfect. The 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 dialogue is top notch. The acting is perfect. It's I I just I dig this scene. It's a great scene, and I guess it's a compliment to everybody involved when you want more of this. You know, so. Yeah, everything about that scene is is executed so well, and and even like visually with the camera, like uh, at the very beginning of the scene, Superman is hovering above Lex, and then by the end of the scene, Lex has Superman on his knees in front of him. So Lex now has the power, and I, I really I really like the attention to detail with that in terms of even just the blocking. Is that that scene is just a way to get Lex to hold. I, I I don't guess literally all the cards, but he has all the cards in, in terms of photos of Martha. So it, it's a very important and and uh, it's just a very important scene, I think, uh, in terms of the story and, and the way Lex and Superman interact. And, and I think it will play into future Superman Lex Luthor interactions if there ever were any that we would get to see. I think this it, it they did a good job of starting their dynamic between each other agreed so do we want to talk about the um the league videos that wonder woman looks at um yeah we, we, we can do a little bit of that sure i just only i just want to bring out the fact that that they're using the new 52 cyborg origin mm-hmm. with the mother box um being involved and everything and i also think it's a really interesting choice you know we always see lightnings around flash in the comics whenever he's running mm-hmm. but like the actual ramifications of that of lightnings actually flying all around the place whenever he does his running mm-hmm. and they're using that visually and i think it's an interesting choice because we've not we have not seen that before yeah i read and this is i think i think is another chris terrio thing uh that they when they were trying to figure out how they were going to visually depict the flash they looked at tesla coils and things like that and i was like okay now now you've got me now it's not just like we're gonna like because he's got a flash on you know a lightning bolt on his flash costume you're actually thinking about the way that kind of stuff works and uh so i have a lot of respect for these people behind the scenes who are uh figuring out how to make these powers come to life so i was like oh i'm gonna have to look up some youtube videos on tesla coils (laughs) just just to kind of uh, get a feel for where uh they uh, might show him and his abilities in the future agreed and you know i mean as far as these these uh justice league vignettes are concerned you know one of the things that i realize this is small potatoes in the grand scheme of things i realize i'm being a purist I realize this is even kind of a douchebag thing to, for me to even say, but, you know, damn it, when was I out taking a leak or something when Cyborg got promoted from the Teen Titans to the Justice League? I mean, who wrote that frickin' memo, and why didn't I get a copy, you know? so I real- think that's a 2011 Jeff Johns Justice League development. Yeah, I think that's New 52. I think that's... Because uh, I have a set of the New 52 action figures, and it it has all of the league that we see in the DCEU, except we haven't seen a Green Lantern yet, but Green Lantern's in that set. But it does include Cyborg. All right. Well, I'm just, like, I was willing to look the other way when Smallville did it because TV, but, you know, damn it, guys. Well, whatever. Okay. So, all right. Well, the what I'll say is the uh, the that little bit we get with uh, Aquaman is... I kind of like it. It's I, I realize the entire point of these things is to tease 
what's to come, but I, I, I wouldn't have said no to maybe a little bit more Aquaman because that it, he really does seem cool, you know? Yeah. And they, they did a, they developed a look for him and put a lot of makeup on it, which is why I think we got Aquaman photos so early on and we didn't get any other league in costume photos until later. Yeah. Like they did a unite the seven thing with Aquaman in that makeup from that movie. We never got any other unite the seven captioned pictures, but um, it was a very, very long time before we saw any other leaguers in their full costumes. Well, I think that's pretty smart, too, just on a, a marketing behalf, because if you're going to make a Justice League movie, what's the one character you really have to sell to the audience to make that work? You, ha- <laughs> you have to convince them that Aquaman is awesome. And in the popular culture, I mean, we probably all think, hey, there's some things I like about Aquaman. But the general audience thinks of super friends and fish jokes and things like that. The idea, I think, in the general audience is that, oh, Aquaman talks to fish. So I think they were really smart <laughs> to drop the uh, Jason Momoa Aquaman picture because it was like, all right, this is this is a new Aquaman, and we're, this is the one that we're going to use. So I think it's actually really smart that they did that. All right. I guess that's our cue to change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get a better transition than that. So, all right. So from there, uh, Batman meets... Uh, or rather Superman meets Batman. Superman briefly tries to reason with Batman, even addresses him by the name of Bruce, but it's all for nothing. And then what follows is a v- probably the what is up to this point in the movie, the single longest sustained action sequence that we've seen so far, with Superman and Batman taking turns beating the snot out of each other. And this is one of those things that it kind of defies rational criticism you know there's it's kind of hard to intelligently comment upon basically people beating the snot out of each other you know there's 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 really not a way to intellectualize something like that but one of the things i do kind of like though is we get a very brief uh display of uh superman's strength after he takes out the machine guns that uh batman has mounted up he walks, um, actually, sorry, not after the machine guns, before the machine guns. Um, he he walks up and faces Batman head on for just a minute and just barely touches him on the chest. <laughs> and Batman goes flying. It looks like, John, what is that? That's got to be like 100 yards or better. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a massive throw. And there is a certain amount of suspension of disbelief we have to get here because of also he is wearing armor. So we can we can use that as a rationalization. But um, I think that Batman takes a lot less physical harm than he actually would. But that's okay because that's what comics are. And we I mean, we certainly got that same suspension of disbelief from the MCU films. So I have no problem using it again here. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I just. It's one of those – they don't make a big production out of it, like the the brief physical contact that Superman makes with Batman on that. It's just those casual depictions of you know how strong Superman really is. It's one thing whenever you see him like lifting up a, or rather catching that, that exploding rocket and then gen, gently lowering it to the ground. But whenever you see 
basically he barely grazes Batman with the corner of his pinky toe and somehow he's up in orbit near Pluto. And I just, I don't know. I just kind of like that. So, yeah, it's, it's cool to see how they've thought out, uh, what Superman's strength would be like. They, it, it seems like they've, uh, cause I think at one point during man of steel, like Zack Snyder actually said that they outlined, you know, what his abilities could do and how far they could go and, and the le- different levels of what he would do. Like if he flicks somebody, what would that do? So it, I, I would agree. It's fun to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. Another kind of neat moment is when, uh, Lex fires that little crypt, uh, kryptonite mini-missile at Superman. And it, it kind of says something about, I guess, uh, how far in advance Batman has planned for all of this, in that he, he this was never intended to hit Superman. It was intended that for Superman to catch it. So Superman is, he catches it in the most macho way possible, and thereby springs the trap. And that's when things kind of turn around a bit. The kryptonite depowers him, and then it's a little bit more of a evenly matched fight. Well, Superman has, uh, Batman rather, has a great line here. Mm-hmm. He tells Superman that what you're feeling, that's fear. Yeah. You're not brave. Men are brave. Because, you know... People can do what they need to do, or they can get stuff done that has to get done. But you can't really call it bravery unless there is a fear element involved as well. Um, Just facing a problem and dealing with it, that's not bravery. And in Batman's eyes, that's all Superman's been doing. It's only whenever you fear your own death or you fear failure or whatever, that's whenever we can call things brave. And so he's tearing Superman down. Um, They... You're right that there's not a whole lot to say because it's so much of this is just fight, 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 fight. Um, but there is the one part where he throws Superman down the flights of building. Mm-hmm. And he then uses the grappling hook to go down after Superman. And I thought to myself, well, why didn't he just use the grappling hook to carry himself and Superman down to the spear? And I realized that's because Superman probably weighs a little more than 108 yeah. Yeah. And he probably he probably got a lot of gratification of throwing Superman off the like he I I would assume that an angry crazed Batman like that wanted to rough him up. So I I, I yeah. I, I, I just went for the big deal joke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's probably true. Well. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember how 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 much she weighed Vicky Vale. But it was something like r- ridiculous. I was like, I wish I weighed as much as Vicky. Vale. It was 108. Well, yeah, at yeah. least 109. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that 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 part is just him being so ticked that he he throws him off. I the thing in the fight that I was like wowed by was his uh, using. I, I forget what he uses, but he swings Superman and knocks him through those columns. I was like, now if you're gonna mess Superman up. That's a very inventive way to do it. I would not have thought about doing it that way, but I thought that was a cool visual uh, part of that sequence that that I didn't expect. He's like right. swinging him by the cape or something, isn't he? Uh, yeah. He, he basically attaches the grapple to his ankle and then uh, stands a certain distance oh, away, yeah. hits real, and then spins around as he does it. And that's honestly, I mean, you know, with 
I assume that the armor that he's wearing enhances his strength because I would think that Superman's molecular density would be such that picking him <laughs> up would be difficult to do. So between the grapple apparently being rated to carry a ton and then Batman's own strength, I could, I guess, I like fuzzy comic book logic. I can yeah. see, you know, that he's capable of doing this. Now, how realistic is that? I don't know and frankly don't care. But I'm just going to point out that Lois didn't mind Clark being on top of her. So the weight probably might not be that big of a deal. That's also true. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Yeah. Okay. Well, either way, the uh, th- basically the narrative needs for Batman to win the fight. But this is one of those things that... I, I kind of have to raise the bullshit flag on. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. The only reason Batman survives this fight, I don't care what weapons he's got up his sleeve, the only way he survives the fight is because Superman just isn't in the mood to kill him. That's yeah. That's it. You know, so this idea... And, like, I remember... I mean, I've deleted most of the uh, uh, Batman cult off of my uh, uh, Facebook by now, but I... I saw screenshots of stuff that other people were responding to, like, you know, this end zone dance that a lot of Batman fans were doing after this movie came out, re Batman beat the snot out of Superman and all this. And, you know, guys, look, if Superman loses a fight to Batman, they're going to live to fight another day. If Batman loses a fight to, to Superman, there's no more Batman. I mean, yeah, the only way this, the only way these characters can go forward is if Batman wins the fight, you know? Mm-hmm. So besides Superman is heat vision. So checkmate Batman fans. <laughs> you can't really argue against that. It's really, it's really hard to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, they use the kryptonite gas, which is a, a good mechanism for making this happen. Um, for, for putting Superman down long enough, um, that Batman can get any side of any kind of upper hand. But I think both of them, got their licks in and and you know going back to the fact that there's no jokes one of the best moments of the fight is after the first bomb starts to wear off and batman's pummeling superman it's having yes. less and less effect and then superman catches his fist batman walks away saying oh shit hey, yeah. no, I was just kidding, right? <laughs> what am i gonna do now <laughs> he definitely freaks out and it's it, it's a great moment but but Batman has the kryptonite spear in his hand. And so the presence of the kryptonite near Superman is continuing to keep him weak. And Batman is about to kill him. Mm-hmm. Batman is about to kill Superman um, when Clark says, you have to stop him. You have to save Martha. And we're at the moment that I feel like is the linchpin of this film in people's minds. Because if you're going to hate on this film, if you're going to dismiss this film, it seems like this is the moment that is the most easily bandied about as as a stupid moment in the film. And this is when I start to lose respect for critics of the film. Mm -hmm. Because either you can appreciate nuance in scripting and in superhero films or you can't. And this scene is the epitome of that. I agree with that, John, that I, and I hate to be really judgmental. I try not to like 
criticize other people because everybody has different opinions. But I think for me and my experience, the people who make fun of that moment are also often uh, the people who are like, why isn't everything so hopeful about this universe? And I, to, for me, I'm like, you can't have it both way. You can't both ways. You can't say, well, everything needs to be hopeful and then be really cynical about this really profound, beautiful moment that has happened in this movie that changes a man's perspective about his life and it makes him a better man. I I just I I've come to realize and I've come down on the fact that the people who see this moment as a joke I I have a really hard time with that because that to me is one of the most cynical things that you can come away with in this movie. Um because like even uh watching the special features where Diane Lane talks about this and about how this is Bruce's chance, you know, after Martha happens and the Martha Martha rescue uh, begins, that's his chance to save a Martha. That's the chance to save a mother that he, you know, couldn't save when he was a kid. And that is a huge human moment for him. And I just honestly, I've I feel really sorry for the people who make fun of that moment. I really do. I feel sorry for them because I don't think that they have a sense of what it's like to connect to another human being on that level. And I've talked before about, um, like on Twitter, but, uh, about this kind of thing. But when just really quick, when I was going through chemo, um, I, you have to go in these, what they're called infusion rooms. And, uh, so it basically, there's a whole bunch of chairs that, uh, you sit in as a cancer patient and you sit there and they will pump the chemo drugs into your body. And I remember one, there was one day where I was sitting in a chair and this, um, and you have to, uh, when to, to verify that they're giving you the right person, the right drugs, they'll say, give me your name and your birth date. So I said, you know, my name is Rebecca Johnson. And then I said uh, what my birthday was. And the, there were a cu- two chairs down from me. There was another woman who looked over at me and she said, that's my birthday too. And <laughs> it was one of those things where I was in a room with a whole bunch of other cancer patients. We all had different cancers. We all had different diagnoses or diagnosis. Uh, we, we all came from different backgrounds. We had, you know, different families, different beliefs, whatever. But in that moment, in that little bitty moment, I connected with this other lady just because we had the same birthday. And that was really special to me that someone else in that room, we weren't, we weren't strangers. We weren't, you know, people feeling left out or, or feeling, uh, strange because we were in this position we were just two human beings that happened to be born on the same day. And that kind of thing for me, like that's my Martha moment with that lady. Mm-hmm. I've never seen her since, but that moment in my life is, you know, ingrained in my memory as having been special for me during that time. Because when you're in one of those rooms, for me, it was, it was sort of isolating. You know, I felt like I was alone in certain aspects of that. And to connect with someone was really, really special. So for me, when I hear people make fun of that Martha moment, I just think, have you never had one of those moments in your life? And I, it, it may, it, honestly, I go from being frustrated that people make fun of it to, you know, I just, I feel a lot of sympathy for you because I don't know if you've had one of those connections with another human being like that. So I know everybody has their likes and dislikes, but that's kind of where I come down on it. Well, the way I the way I looked at it was um, even before I, I, I met Stacy, I always knew that 
Most people are sort of like combination locks. And you can lock or unlock a person if, if you really know them well and you know what buttons to push. You can destroy them. And I don't mean like hurt their feelings. I mean, I believe if you say the right words in the right order at the right time to the right person, you can ruin their life forever. Yeah. And they never yeah. come back from it. You know, send them into a deep depression. I think you could talk somebody into suicide if you use the right words. And you could probably do it in just a couple of minutes. You know, it's not that hard to do. And for uh, Stacy, I, I guess sort of by osmosis, I figured out the exact words I could use to destroy her for forever. And I also figured out the, the way of unlocking, which was if I use certain other words in the right order, um, I'm always going to get a smile from her, you know, yeah. every single time. And not just I love you. I mean, I'm not going to repeat what it is, but it, it, it's this it, it's something that you would only know if you know her and you know her well and she's opened up to you. You know, she's yeah. shared a little bit of her soul. And if you say that to her, you know, she she I don't know. It's just it, it's that connection that people who love each other have. Right. And so not exactly the same thing or even remotely the same context, but. That, I think, is kind of what we're seeing here. At least, let me rephrase that. That's how I'm seeing it. That's how I interpreted it, was that Superman said something to Batman that he knew would would change him. You know, he knows Batman's name, all right? He knows who's really under that mask, and he knows what the name Martha is going to mean to him. If you say that that name to Bruce Wayne, you're going to get some kind of a reaction. If you say, save Martha, you're going to get still a different reaction. Superman, he may have lost the fight, but he didn't lose the argument. You know, he knew that, like, Batman may kill me anyway, but at least he knows now what he needs to do. And who knows, maybe I've, maybe I've helped him in a, in a weird kind of way too, as I go to my death, you know? And that seems like a very Superman idea to me, the idea of having, like, this verbal grenade that you can throw at somebody in order to in order to to get the job done you know i bet superman has verbal grenades for for lois for lex for for everybody he's got a verbal grenade for everyone and any verbal grenade that you throw it can be beneficial or it can be harmful but it's always going to be a big a, a big reaction you know he knew what it was in batman's case and so he didn't have anything else left, he, so he threw the verbal grenade. And I don't know. I think that says something about how how Superman's mind works, that he knew this would work. I hadn't even really thought about it being intentional on Superman's part. Um, I think I like that interpretation. I, I, I'd always seen it as an as a act of desperation, as um, if you're going to kill me, if you're going to let me – if you're going to – make me die then you have to know that there's somebody out there who needs to be saved there's somebody out there that you have to stop um and he uses the name martha because you know batman won't relate to the fact that you need to save my mom batman or at least Batman won't be able to act upon you need to save my mom um and he's also in a, a state of poisoned 
desperation. I mean, there's this radiation that's killing him in his face. Mm-hmm. He probably isn't thinking super clearly. Um, there are easy ways to explain why he doesn't say Kent. The name Kent doesn't matter at this point. There's a woman out there you need to save. Her name is Martha. You need to go save her. Um, and it and it slaps Bruce in the face. And and you know, I like Rebecca's story that you know it can come out of nowhere. Something can just hit you that you weren't expecting. And I like your idea that Superman planned it ahead of time. But but at the end of the day, there are things that people can say, and there are names that we have in our lives. Some of us that if someone says that, you're going to listen. Um, I don't know if y'all watched Heroes. A bit. I did. And uh, the first season of Heroes, which is really the best portion of that show, and yeah. I, you know, regardless of what you think about the other seasons, that sh- that first season is 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 fantastic. And there's a character. There's a waitress named Charlie. Hmm. And um, the one of the main characters, Hero, just falls in love with her. She's she's charming, she's adorable, and he he really likes her from the get go, and um, he wants to save her. And um, the villain of the piece kills her rather brutally. Um, and there's a novel that's written that spins out of that moment that goes into a novel length story of Hero trying to travel through time and save this woman. And um, Andy can't do it. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever encountered an actual character, an actual person in real life, a female person who shared a name as my sister. Um, mm-hmm. Because the, the family story is that um, my stepmom's dad, and so I don't know exactly how like a step-grandpa or something, but he was just, he was just grandpa to her. Um, he had five grandchildren they were all boys and so and none of them were named after him charles doer so whenever he found out that one of his daughters was pregnant again my stepmother um he he gave her two ultimatums he said first of all you have to have a girl it's the rules you have to have a girl i'm telling you now second of all you have to name her after me (laughs) And so my uh, my dad and stepmom found a name. And so they named their daughter Carissa, which they could also then abbreviate as a nickname as Charlie. And so my little sister was named Charlie, and I'd never met a girl named Charlie before. And and um and she was killed when she was four. Mm. Um and so whenever this character came upon Hero heroes and she had the same name i immediately plugged into it right and when she died it meant something to me yeah and it's interesting because i don't know what exactly it is but every single time i run across a story with a woman in it named charlie she's fucking died on me and i don't know why that is oh but um if somebody were to come into my life and out of nowhere, some random ass person walks into my life and says, you need to save Charlie. You need to stop him from killing Charlie. I would lose my shit. Yeah, you would do anything you could. Right. And so as I see the scene and I see what's happening here 
and I hear him say, you need to stop Martha. And I know from the storyline how much that means to Bruce. And you know from the storyline just how much he's plugged into that name. And it stops him in his tracks. There is nothing in the world that is funny or mockable about that scene. Right. Because his entire world has been shattered since he was a child. And now this man is throwing it in his face unexpectedly. What does, and he, the first thing he says is, what does that mean? What does it mean I need to save Martha? And he just stops long enough for Lois to run in and explain what the hell's going on. Yeah. And it's incredibly impactful. It's incredibly emotional. And I don't know if, J- if, if Joe Viewer just isn't ready to have those kinds of emotions in their lives because they've never lost someone to violence. I've lost four family members to violence. So if, if, there, are, there are people that you can mention that if you want me to save them, you're going to get me off. My, you're you're going to throw me off my game. You're going to stop my day. And like you said, Magnus, you're going to ruin my life to a certain extent. So, um, yeah, this scene means a lot to me. And, um, you know, if you're listening to the show and you, you don't have those kinds of connections, I'm sorry that you don't have those kinds of connections. But don't you dare mock this because... This is actual human pain being thrown into our Superman Batman story, and it means something. It fucking means something. And I and I love that that moment is the thing that's going to tie Superman and Batman together for the rest of time. I love that. I love that that has formed. You know, it's one of the things about this movie is that you have to have a legitimate reason for them to fight, and you have to have a legitimate reason for them to become friends. And I think the fact that they, and this is something that nobody else in the history of DC Comics, nobody has decided to take the fact that Superman and Batman's mothers have the same exact name. I'm going to break in there real quick and just say, I wrote a fan, or started writing a fan fiction back in 2008 where I touched on that very thing. Go ahead. Okay, well, nobody except for Magnus (laughs) in the history of DC Comics has thought to write a story or done a movie or done a TV show or, do, uh, you know, an animated whatever. Nobody has chosen to do this. <laughs> and they use this in Batman v Superman to form the bond that will eventually lead. I don't think they're, fr- they're, they're not BFFs during the Martha rescue. They're not BFFs when Superman dies. They're not even uh, BFFs during the funeral. This is the start of the fact that they will become best friends. And, and I, I think that, that is such a beautifully, beautifully profound thing that that is the connection that they will take, especially because like in the Nolan trilogy, Batman's connection was they, they showed his mother, but it was more about his father and his connection with his father. And so I really and even in Man of Steel, a lot of it was about the two dads. And in this movie, it was about the mothers and it was about the women in their lives. And I think that is amazing. And I would agree. I think the fact that we have all shared a connection to people that uh, that that means something to us because of this moment shows that that's a very universal thing, that we all it's a very human thing, that we all have those things in our lives and those people in our lives uh, that that form we form that bond with. So I personally, as a fan of Superman and Batman and their friendship, I think that's awesome that that's what starts them becoming friends. Agreed. 
And I like that that uh, Martha in this case relates to Diane Lane. That's yep. just a personal thing, though. <laughs> well, if you got to save somebody, I mean, save Diane Lane, please. Yeah, for God's sake, let's prioritize. So, uh, if everybody's ready to uh, move on, um, basically they have Superman and, and Batman. They have this kind of bro moment near uh, the end of this scene where. Batman makes a solemn promise. And, you know, you got to figure when Batman says he's going to save somebody, he's going to save that person or he's going to break something in the bargain. But you <laughs> yeah. know, he'll have a doctor's note, you know. So um, but then everybody kind of goes off in sort of their their own directions. And uh, basically, this is kind of a so, sort of a uh, it can't really be. It, it can't be cut any other way than it is, and I understand that. But, you know, it does kind of play havoc a little bit with the timeline here that there's no intercutting between Batman's story and Superman's. We basically follow Batman for a while. He goes, and he really does save... Uh, he really does save Martha. But before that happens, this is the Batman action sequence I've wanted ever since I was eight years old, the first time I saw Tim Burton's uh, Batman movie his first one and it was it's basically just batman running around a warehouse beating the snot out of people and you know no fancy cartwheels or you know stupid little karate kicks or anything like that i'm talking about just an old fashioned beating you know and i i just i i i like that you know this is i mean i i don't want to like on the one hand i i don't want to like belabor the point you know too much and um run this into the ground but i just this is what i've always wanted from a batman action action sequence and Zack snyder god bless him finally gave it to me you know and it's a stupid thing to appreciate about the movie but you know that's that's just where i'm where i'm coming from here you know i don't i don't think that's stupid at all because if you're if you're going to watch a movie that has action elements in it you want the action to be good yeah. It should be. It should be good. And I, I think it's really cool because we've seen Batman fight criminals in other movies. But this one I really liked because we got to see Batman at his at his best, I think. Like he has a strategy going in. He's got Alfred helping him at the controls of, of the bat plane or the bat wing, whatever you want to call it. And he knows exactly how to play exactly how to play those criminals where he uh, he he goes in in a way that they don't expect and they, he catches them off guard and everything he does in that warehouse fat their warehouse fight is so calculated up until the fact that he has to make a decision uh, about what to do with Anatoly Knizhev. But I, yeah, I think this, I mean, it go, it will go down in history as one of the great Batman fights ever put on film. And you don't, I, I don't think you get that without, uh, without Zack Snyder and his people and his stunt team. So it's one one of my favorite sequences in the movie, and uh, I, I think it's one of the the best Batman fight sequences we've ever gotten. Right, I agree. And there's this moment, and now I mean, I'm I'm searching around, I'm I'm watching the movie as as we're recording all of this, in case I haven't made that clear just yet. After Batman gets uh, uh, stabbed in the shoulder, he he stands back up, wrenches the uh, the knife out of his shoulder, grabs the guy that stabbed him by the neck. And then the camera kind of does this whip pan thing as Batman slams the guy against the, the wall. And you can see that uh, Batman is basically gritting his teeth 
And, I mean, he's so pissed off, you can almost see the drool coming out. Because, like, that's when you know you're really angry at somebody, is <laughs> yeah, like when, yeah. when you're drooling. So, I hate to think what that says about me. But, anyway, and it's just, like, it's it, it's just got this, this grit to it. You know, that this is, yeah, these are stunt guys, and they're all getting paid to do this and stuff. But it does, the illusion of, you know, people really getting hurt this badly, it, just on the technical level, it really is very, very well done. So... Anyway, and um, that pretty much leads us into, I think, one of the very last homages we get to The Dark Knight Returns, where you've basically got, uh, I'm just going to call him KG Beast, uh, you got KG Beast holding the, the, the giant gun of doom up against uh, Martha's, Martha's head, and basically telling Batman, I'm going to kill her, believe me. And so Batman uh, explodes the, whatchamacallit, on his back real good and says, I believe you. Or actually, no, I guess it's before that. It's before he he blows up the, the gas can. But whatever, the point is it's freaking cool and I love it. <laughs> and this is, I mean, I know that you know, what, we're, what we're basically seeing here is Batman at a personal low, you know, and I, I, I get that, you know, but this is... This is basically the way I've always envisioned uh, Batman. I mean, a guy who's going to do the stuff that Batman does is not going to arbitrarily draw the line at taking human life. You know, I don't think he would draw a moral difference between beating somebody half to death versus beating them all the way to death. He's that's a kind of a stupid abstraction for him, you know, and that's what we're seeing here. And I get the idea we're going to see a kinder, gentler Batman in movies still to come. And you know what? Whatever. Because at least I've I've got this one. But I just... God, I just dig this. I dig this entire sequence, you know? So, there I go. like the notion that um, when you're doing the kinds of things that Batman does, and ever since, I think, the 70s, it's been more and more increasingly that Batman is the best fighter in the world. You yeah. know, so instead of the world's greatest detective, he's the world's greatest fighter. Um and, you know, people have problems with that depiction. That's fine. But if he is the world's greatest fighter, if he is a fighting person, fighting is not nice. And beating people is not something that that you can just do until you magically don't kill them. A lot of times the things that you do will kill them. Right. Um, and right there, he's he's got a choice of saving Martha or letting the other guy live. And he said he would save Martha. Right. And that's so, a, those are stakes you don't want to play for with Batman. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So um, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the, a lot of Hulk fans mm. are very adamant that Hulk never kills. What? Yeah. And yet I've seen him do it. <laughs> I've seen him wreak havoc on a countryside in ways that would have to kill people. So I don't know exactly how you can interpret that. But evidently... Okay, um, hey, look, I'm I'm fuzzy on this whole never kill people. We're to, the shtick of the Hulk. If I'm wrong, please do correct me. But the shtick is, Bruce Banner loses control. Isn't that kind of the the central issue of the Hulk? Losing and I'm not control. versed enough in the in the arguments to understand how it's supposed to be arguable. But but yeah, I don't know if it's something that was brought out in the Peter David run since that's such a crucial run. But evidently, the Hulk doesn't kill. 
Okay, well, look, I mean, you're talking to somebody who's read like five Hulk comics. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if you're not a fan, or if, rather, if you're not an expert, I am definitely not an expert. But, golly, I mean, see, here's the thing. I mean, part of me wants to say that you should never argue with an expert about their subject, right? I don't argue sports with my brother. He doesn't argue comics with me. I mean, you gotta rec- you got you gotta accept the business model here a little bit, right? But I always thought that the shtick with the Hulk is actually pretty straightforward. I mean, well, okay, whatever. I'm, I don't want to belabor it, but uh, all right, that's an interesting viewpoint. So, hey, look, okay, if you're listening to this and and you consider yourself a Hulk fan or a Hulk expert and you want to send me to school, please, I welcome it. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. Let me know, okay? I'm not making fun of you. This is a legit invitation for you to educate me. So please do. And if you're one of my friends or something, hit me up on Facebook because I really don't understand either. Um, but yeah, so where are we now? I actually We're didn't have to write down a whole lot about the fight. Yeah, basically. And so uh, we get – this is, I think, the only real moment that uh, Ben Affleck and Diane Lane have ever had together in live action anywhere ever. They've never been in a movie before. Ever, this is the only time they've ever been on on screen. Uh, actually, they have. <laughs> is that the way? No, no, they haven't. Nope, 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 nope. That doesn't count. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just sick and fucking tired of that meme of <laughs> oh, Batman screwed Superman's mother. <laughs> and it's just such a douchebag, hipster, clever. I, I agree. Damn good point. I don't have a way to argue with it, and I wish those people would, <laughs> would all stub their toes. I don't know. Is, is it okay if we're amused by it without it being a ter- like? It's just funny that like here we have these two characters who are in a very very different situation than their other characters were. I just yeah. I'm amused. Well, and, yeah, I get it. It's just you know we're long past the time now of. Batman fans only being capable of actualizing their fandom of bat uh, of Batman by belittling everybody else and Superman is the most frequent target for all of that. And I mean look, I on the one hand, I don't want to take something away from somebody that they really enjoy. That the, you know, for all I know, this is the only thing that's keeping them tethered to norm to normalcy and sanity, okay? And for me to take that away that's just a dick move, all right? But, I mean, dude, you got to give me something here, man. I mean, the fact that... Okay, just to kind of just to kind of draw a, a, an analogy and not to go too far into territory we should probably stay away from, I'm Catholic, and I'm happy to be Catholic, all right? My, my uh, adherence to uh, Catholicism, it stands on its own, all right? I don't have to... Uh, talk shit about the Muslims in order for me to uh, to feel better about b- the fact that I'm Catholic. No, I'm Catholic. That's the end of it, right? So uh, maybe that's not the best analogy to use, but it's all I can think of because I'm getting a little punchy here. But uh, John, no, I get you. It's okay, the difference but, between patriotism and jingoism. You can be right. proud to be an American without looking down upon other countries. Well, I don't know about that. No, I'm kidding. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, You'd yeah, be proud it's... to be a Texan and and be confident in the fact that you are in the best country in the world. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a good one. Um... <laughs> well, anyway, so after this, we get the final confrontation between Superman and Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like this, that Superman's kind of back on top of his game. 
you know, Luther had him rattled on the rooftop, but here Superman's a little bit more in control. You know, Luther even says, I don't know how to lose. And Superman, the confidence is dripping off his voice, I swear. He says, you'll learn. And he, Superman believes it. Like in that moment, Superman thinks this guy has no idea how long a stretch in prison that he's looking at. And, it, and this is actually one of those things where it does sort of call into question, like, what was Lex Luthor's long game at this point? You know, we know what the short game was, kill Superman, right? That I get. But <clears throat> who kills the killer is, I guess, the point. Like, once Superman was down and out, what was Lex's plan to take care of Doomsday? Because we know he didn't have any kryptonite. So what was going to be his move? You know? Um, I think this goes back to the idea that Doomsday is the one aspect of this that he hasn't planned out. Um, ah. Because it, if Batman had killed Superman, mm -hmm. then his plan would ha his original plan would have been accomplished. Man has killed God, I have made my point. Mm -hmm. If Superman kills Batman... I have made my point that Superman is fallible, but I still have to deal with Superman. And so he's he's found a way to solve the Superman problem. If man can't kill God, the devil will do it. But I don't think he realizes what he's created, despite the fact oh, that the out, computer out, was like... Out. Time out. Who is the devil? Who is Lex talking about? Himself? Or is he talking about Doomsday? Yes. I I think that's open to, to interpretation. Um, I, I think when he says, and the devil will do it, then it cuts to doomsday uh, so that you can make that connection there. But I think uh, for me, I think Lex embodies a lot of the Luciferian traits that I would associate with the devil and especially with his opposition in terms of, you know, uh, Superman being the God. So that would be, I, I, I can go both ways with it, but I, I think it's kind of up to individual interpretation. I don't know that it's nailed down as to which one is which. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, yeah, there's, I interrupted there's... you before, John. No, it's fine. Yeah, I interrupted you. Can you just pick up? It's all right. Just go ahead. <laughs> the, uh... <laughs> I'll come over there. I will drive over there. <laughs> um, but actually it's a good question. Cause in his analogy, he seems to represent the helpless mortal mm -hmm. that that you know is at the mercy of this un, you know trickster god or whatever. So, but but then you know he's the one who's taking down God. So that's certainly Luciferian. Mm -hmm. um, but despite the fact that the Kryptonian computer is all like, "Hey, yo, this is an abomination that was banned on Krypton. Like, we're like we're not allowed to do this." He's confident that he'll be able to control it because he's just that egotistical. Um, but yeah, Doomsday is is the unkillable monster. And I think it's telling that Doomsday's very first act is to try to kill Luthor. Yeah, exactly. And right. he huddles from it and Superman gets in the way. Um, so I think that this is just at this point, his plan breaks down. Well, and it proves, you know, Lex, the whole reason Lex hates Superman is because he sees him as a god and he blames God for not saving him from uh, his his daddy's fist and abominations. And what does Superman do? He stops 
Doomsday from using his fist on Lex. So the God in the story saves Lex from uh, the abuse, from the fist. So I think that's a really, really cool. It's not explicitly stated. And I think a lot of people have problems with this movie because they have to use their brains. God forbid you have to use your brain and (laughs) interpret something. Um, But I think that's a really great moment where if you connect the dots, that that one little bit that goes so quickly, it, it means so much. Yeah. Well, and then from there, we get another very sustained action sequence. And I guess we can comment about that a little bit more in depth in just a second. But for right now, sort of interspersed with all of that, we have uh, Diana basically finding religion, more or less, when it comes to, you know, what exactly is it that she needs to do in order to help save the day? Because... I don't know this to be true, but what I think is going through her head is she can't possibly know that Batman is involved with this. And she might very well assume that Superman can't handle this by himself. And come to that, she's probably right. So she knows that she's got to do something. And this, I, you know, without spoiling anything, because again, I haven't seen the Wonder Woman movie, I'm guessing that what we're seeing here is a is kind of in reverse the fulfillment of a character arc that actually began in the Wonder Woman movie her deciding to take an active hand which is kind of a big deal for her so i leave leave the rest to you guys on that what do you think rebecca i'm sorry uh, what Go go back and um, I'm sorry I was looking at Twitter. Um, not that I wasn't paying attention to you. The Justice League stuff is coming up. Um, yeah, but I know. What what did you want me to comment on? I'm sorry that was very um, very rude of me. Uh, uh, basically, that Diana here. What we see is that she's on the airplane and she's experiencing a pretty significant amount of internal conflict. Like, what exactly do I do here? Right. And I guess basically. This is a bigger deal for her than this movie by itself might suggest. And I, what I said was I assume that the seeds for this were actually sown in reverse in the Wonder Woman movie. So, you know, how big a deal is this, you know, without getting too spoilery, like how yeah. big a deal is this for her really? Yeah, I definitely don't want to spoil anything for you if you haven't seen Wonder Woman. I, I think... For me, I don't even need the Wonder Woman movie to help me understand that because later, you know, she tells Bruce, you know, I walked away from mankind because mankind was so horrible. Um, and I I like the idea that these characters, Batman, Wonder Woman, these two major characters who with Superman form this DC Trinity, they uh, especially like they are impacted Diana and Bruce are impacted by Superman and they get the call to be their heroic selves after kind of having put aside the heroic part of themselves. Mm -hmm. They find it in themselves to be heroes again because of Superman. And I think um, when you when you sort of go back after watching Wonder Woman and and go uh, back to Batman v Superman and see her in that moment in the plane. I think it does strengthen that moment of it. Um, but I, I just like the impact of Superman inspiring them. And I think that the fact that she knows she can do something, she knows that there are things that she can do as Wonder Woman. She has these gifted abilities, these powers, and she can help where nobody else can help the, you know, and she, she waits for a little while. Mm -hmm. She doesn't just jump in there. 
she kind of waits for a couple of those news reports to hear more details about what's going on. And it's not until she realizes, I think, that nobody else can do anything about this. That's when she steps in to help. And I, I personally really like that, getting to see a, a hero uh, make the decision to go in and, and help and, and realize this is my time to go. So I, I think it's strengthened by Wonder Woman, but I don't necessarily think at least for me, that I needed Wonder Woman, the movie, to help me understand that moment. I got it pretty clearly watching Dawn of Justice. Yeah, they, they say that she stepped away from humanity. Um, I think so long as it was a people among people squabble, she was going to stay away. But now that there's like a giant monster involved, <laughs> yeah. she feels like it's more of her specialty. <laughs> um, and, you know, Superman loses this fight and... You made the passing comment, just dropped the line, Magnus, about that he probably would have lost without Wonder Woman's help. And it started me thinking, he takes Doomsday into space. Mm-hmm. Is it a stretch to, to wonder if Superman actually would have succeeded in getting Doomsday maybe to the sun or something um, if the if if the government had not interceded with the nuke? Do you think I, Superman might have actually won by throwing the jerk into the sun this time around? I I don't think anything that they could have done would have changed anything because they say in the movie that he feeds off energy and he feeds off the things that are like when they're shooting the guns or they're using the nuclear bomb, even if Superman hit him or whatever, like any, I think any of that kind of physical contact would have made him power more powerful. So Even I don't know. Sun? Possibly. I mean, I think you. I think there's room to make that argument that if they threw him into the sun, in the sun, which has so much, you could. I guess I'm not a scientist. I'm I'm, I'm not an astro, you know, astronaut. I don't know a whole lot about the sun, but it gives off energy. I guess is fair to say. And uh, if if you threw him into the sun, I think that I. I personally would argue that would make him more powerful. So I I think that they wrote it in such a way that they really wrote it into a corner where Superman has to make the choice he has to make because like even even uh, now this is something that comes from the Wonder Woman movie that the that well you you know uh even from Batman v Superman so it's not a spoiler but like Wonder Woman's bracelets have energy you know, abilities to suck up energy and things like that. And they can, you know, she can use them to blast energy off. So Wonder Woman can't even save the day because her Wonder Woman bracelets, those gauntlets are going to make Doomsday even stronger. So I think it's really smart the way they wrote that, that there was one way for this to go down and it, it's the way that it happens in the movie. So that's, that's my thought. I I don't, I don't think that the sun would have helped. Hmm. Okay. Well, fair enough. But I'm I'm open to other interpretations. It's one of those plot devices that probably could have logically been spun either way. It could logically spin the way you said, where the sun wouldn't have helped. It would have just continued to evolve. Um, Or logically, you could reason that he he, it was just too much and he he would die. Um, But one of the things about Doomsday that just uh, that that works for me is I get the idea that what Lex did in that scout ship was he basically unlocked the combination for creating Doomsday. Right. And he could have done it pretty much no matter what. Any way he wanted to do it, the it just seems like it's an extra twist of the knife that Lex 
insisted on mixing his own blood in into into doomsday i mean that was probably not a requirement but he did it anyway because he's a mean hateful spiteful son of a bitch and i kind of like that you know so again no deeper meaning to that i just want to throw that out there so it's, it's almost like he uh by mixing himself in with zod he made things worse um yeah. i've heard this doomsday compared to bizarro that it's like a yeah. bizarro concept taken to an nth degree and it's probably not wrong. It's an imperfect I, copy of a Kryptonian. I always thought that Doomsday needed the blood in order to be created. That was always my interpretation of it. Uh, but I, I guess I can see it an, another way now. Um, and and I, I think that Lex probably thought when he did that, he would be able to control Doomsday. <laughs> Turned out he could not. Doomsday was his own thing. Well, the thing that I liked about it was that if Doomsday was successful in killing Superman, some part of Lex would be contributing to that, you know? Mm. And I, I don't know. I mean, he just seems like he's just spiteful enough that he'd put a, he'd put a premium on that, I think. So, well, anyway, so the fight unfolds, and I, here again, I mean, it's really hard to comment intelligently on Punchy Punchy Run Run. So, uh, not really sure what can really be said, but it is a fun fight and, you know, it does seem kind of like an answer in some ways to the man of steel battle where it said once for sure, but maybe twice that, uh, the entire downtown area had already been evacuated. So odds are there were no civilian uh, casualties and we get this really neat moment where, the Trinity for a very brief moment, they fight alongside each other. And there's this kind of, again, this movie has no humor to it. There's this kind of jokey moment where Batman and Superman realize wonder woman is kind of a free agent. She's there on, on her own accord. She's not there on Batman's account. She's not there on Superman's account. And it's, it's just kind of funny. It's really well done. And I like it. It's, it's cool. Yeah, it's 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 funny to to hear you bring up jokes and saying that the fight was fun. Those are things that Rotten Tomatoes top critics would disagree with you on, but I would agree with you on. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a good inclusion of humor in the fight where it's not actually commenting on them fighting, but it's a way to add a little bit of brevity there. I think I think that's very well done. Well, Wonder Woman shows up and everyone cheers. The yeah. entire theater oh, yeah. breaks out and she has one where shows up. And whenever Superman um, recovers from the nuke, and I think it's cool that he's just as powerful as he needs to be in this film and no more. He barely recovers. He lands and he shows up and they do the little I thought she was with you thing, mm -hmm. which I thought was funny. Um, there were some headlines that spun it the wrong way, like men are claiming ownership of a woman. I, I thought oh, that was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's nothing about that there. Um it's just, you know, Superman thought she was with Batman. Batman thought since she's a metahuman, she's with Superman. So obviously, you know, it's just, you know, it's a light moment. But what's funny about the film, about the fight, is that Batman goes into hiding. <laughs> yeah. Once they're all three fighting, Batman is in pure hide from the monster mode because he can do nothing at yeah. this point. <laughs> he is a dude in a bat suit, and that's it against this monster. And if you watch the fight... Um, 
Wonder Woman is doing most of the fighting. Yeah. Like actively attempting to take down Doomsday. And she's Wonder having Woman the time of her life doing it. Oh my God. Yeah. Like there's this moment where she breaks out in a smile. Yeah, this is a world-beating threat. Like, if she doesn't shut this thing down, she can't be sure that Superman can. I mean, the stakes are really high, and it's like she knows that, but she really loves her job, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's... I, I really have nothing else to say about the fight until we get to Clark grabbing the spear and some thoughts there. Yeah. Um, it is a kind of a a tender moment. I mean, there's, we all remember that moment from Superman number 75, that kiss that Superman has with Lois. And that's really the closest they were able to get to saying goodbye to each other before he died. And the difference here is that they both know where, where this is going to go. You know, uh, yeah. Lois knows Superman knows he's not, he's not, he's probably not coming back from this or possibly not coming back. And so, you know, like, I, I, there's only one time I've ever really had to tell somebody, like, goodbye, you know, like, forever. And, you know, by that point, I mean, you know, the they were so far gone, I'm not sure that they even knew I was there anymore. But, you know, it that moment where you know that this really is it. And it's, this is, it's kind of like a romanticization of that moment, because, you know, it's, Let's be real. It's never really like that. You know, one or the other of you isn't able to talk. You're in tears and it's it. You're a mess. You know, you're a slobbering mess, but it's Hollywood. So everything needs to be kind of pretty. And, you know, it's like the emotion of it is right, even if the reality of it isn't really right. Right. And it's really dramatic. I like I like the uh, the music. It's. It's just well done. I don't know how else to say it. It's it, it's ex- extremely well done. Yeah, and I like that moment for Superman because this is after his Jonathan Kent hallucination, dream, what, whatever you want to say, uh, his 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 Garden of Gethsemane moment, his you know mountaintop moment, and he's now kind of come to the realization of what drives him to save the world and what makes him a better hero. And that's Lois. That's his world. And I like that before we see Superman die and kind of give himself up for the world, he's, I think he's much more confident in himself as a superhero and as Superman and as Clark Kent. I think he's, he's much more sure of himself. He's not questioning what he needs to do. He knows exactly what he's got to do. So I, I, I like that before he dies, he has that moment. Agreed. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, he he's wrestled with what it costs to do good. I mean, that's been the theme that he has wrestled with the entire film. And now he has found a good that he can do that will have a cost, but he can also be the person who pays the cost. Right. So um, he's able to meet it at both ends. And he's able, and it's something that needs to be done, and he's able to do it. And so, whenever you're in that sort of situation, it's a moral obligation. You have to take, you have to go and do that. Um, so he does. Um, and I wasn't expecting it. Uh, we were watching it in the in the theater. I I, I mean, I knew they were fighting Doomsday. Um, 
but I didn't think there was any way they could kill Superman. He only had two films. Um, we'd seen that he was going to be in Justice League. I honestly was not going into this with a, of course he's going to die kind of attitude. I wasn't expecting it. That's so and funny so, because I had that exact same mindset going into the movie. Like I knew Doomsday was in it. I knew what Doomsday was famous for, but I had, I, I, I thought, well, there, there's probably ways to stop Doomsday. They've, I think they've done it in the comics without having to kill Superman. So, I'm, you know, who, who knows? And so I was really shocked that they killed Superman as well. And, and uh, John, you're not the only other person that who reads the comics and knows uh, about the use of Doomsday, who I think a lot of us had that kind of thought that there's no way they're going to kill Superman. So I, I personally was surprised as well. So, so he, I, I, he, I hate to be the cynical jerk in the room. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, the fact is, you know, the way I looked at it was if you're going to put Superman in a movie where you know he's going to trade punches with some alien bad guy and you want him to live, Doomsday's not the guy you choose, you know? And, you know, you could choose Zod, he's somehow back from the dead, or you could choose Mongol, Brainiac, anybody, you know? But that it's specifically Doomsday, it didn't seem very likely to me that Superman was going to walk away from this thing in one piece. And uh, there's no way, I mean, I'm not... Like, usually when people say that, they always sound kind of like jerks, and so I hope that's not how I'm coming off, but... No, you know, that it just that that was just the way I looked at it. And I've made this joke a couple of times now, but this movie came out on on Good Friday. Superman died on Good Friday. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's very intentional. <laughs> it's intentional like the the crosses that are there during Superman's death scene uh when when uh the Trinity is there surrounding him. So I think all of that is very intentional. Oh, all right. And I and I made a video about it and put it on my YouTube channel. So uh, I I don't think uh, you're you're grasping for straws there. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. The, this this film is very intentionally full of gospel allegory. It's 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 one of those things, you know. The fact that I personally have no need for religion in my life and that I have opinions about religion as a whole doesn't negate the fact that I. Our culture has religion in it, and it plays both cultural, literary, you know, all sorts of roles in our society. Right. And so whenever you have a piece of work like this that is full of allusion to um, cultural literature, I guess, to me that's one of the aspects that makes this story, this film, literature in its own right. To me, mm. these are literary works. There's symbolism. There's theme. There's allusion. There's all this stuff that you can sit there in your college English class and analyze to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we're told that there, there's no subtlety to the film. There's no subtlety to the script. There's nothing of, of any value here going on. And I just – I don't know when – the brains get turned off. I don't understand why people <laughs> refuse to see stuff. But um, but when he is dead and Lois is running up to him and Wonder Woman looks over at her, I think there's it's just a very brief moment. But you can see Diana looking over. It's not just that Superman has died, but there is a woman in his life 
who has now lost somebody, and that makes it even worse. Right. Yeah. He he is not he's not just a lost hero. He is now a lost love. Yeah. And yeah. Well, as his body is laying on the ground, uh, the framing of it at one point, there's this overhead shot of uh, of a uh, Superman, and it looks just like the just like the cover for Adventures of Superman number four ninety eight. Um, this very famous Tom Grummet cover. Uh, it's a drawing of a photograph by Jimmy Olsen, where Superman's basically just laying in the laying in the street after he. John, are are you? You, do you know the cover I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, I'm bringing it up just so I can get it, get it explicitly in my in my face. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just after the death. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the first part of funeral for a friend. You're looking down at a photo of the wreckage around Superman's dead body. He's just splayed there on the ground. Right, and his body position at one point in the movie is um, pretty pretty similar to that. It's actually pretty close, and that's not. And like the even like the framing of it is actually very similar. And you know, it, it's one of those things where you know this was not an accident. You know, uh, whoever did this <laughs> did it deliberately. And you know, I mean, it's one thing to put Doomsday in a movie. You know, punch, punch, Superman dies. You know, it, look, anybody can do that. But getting like the visual language of what those comics were like, and especially like this was a famous promotional picture at that time. But these days, that's not really the image that anyone associates with the Doomsday story anymore. They usually use uh, other artwork as a sort of generic stand-in. And so for somebody to pull that, you know, pull from that far back in the archive, because it's a little dusty at this point, to pull it that far back uh, in the archive, somebody had their thinking cap on, you know, and... It's here again. It's just it's another thing about this movie that I just really cherish. You know that that is the genius and the uh, the the artistry of Zack Snyder. And people dog on him all the time, but he loves comic books. He loves these characters, and it it doesn't surprise me at all that he pulled from the source material in order to create these shots for this incredibly iconic moment. For Superman, so people people can dog him all they want, but he knows his stuff, and that is seen all throughout Man of Steel, Batman v Superman. You see it in Justice League a little bit from the the one trailer that we've gotten, so uh, or at least at the time of this recording. Uh, so I I really appreciate that about Zack Snyder specifically that he cares so much that he wants to honor the things that came f- before him and and the things that he's pulling for in order to t- to tell his story with his film. I do as well. So uh, we could get into I mean there's the Pieta imagery whenever they're pulling um, Superman's body down. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, for those of you who are not art students out there, um, a trope, to use a modern term for a very old thing, uh, of Renaissance art was the scene of Mary cradling Jesus's dead body uh, with his head in her lap. And that image has been done by in so many different motifs by so many artists through the centuries, um, and in film and in tons of yeah, yeah. And it's it's brought in here, and it just helps to to extend the um, the the metaphor that 
Snyder's doing with the film. It's it's good stuff. And it's not even it's in addition to the Pieta, it's uh, also the descent from the cross. The cross. Uh, so Google the descent from the cross, and you'll see exactly uh, what that is. That's that's uh, you know very famous paintings have been um, brought to life using that kind of imagery, and they actually uh, the concept artist for Batman v Superman did uh, a sketch of this scene using Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, Lois, and even, uh, I think there was like a, either some sort of military person, uh, also helping Superman down. And it was very much in the vein of the descent from the cross. So if anyone is wondering if it's intentional, it very much is. That's the way that they saw it when they made the movie. Well, uh, if you guys don't have anything else to say about uh, the death of Superman in this movie, um, continuing on with uh, the Wikipedia synopsis, Luther is arrested and Batman confronts him in prison, warning Luther that he will always be watching. Luther gloats that Superman's death has made the world, uh, the world vulnerable to powerful alien threats. And so I think we can put this on pause here and... At this point, Lex has shaved his head. He's he's uh, locked away in prison, and you know you kind of got to figure that at this point. I mean, the charges against him are pretty extensive. I mean, you know, you're we're talking about uh, insurrection, uh, kidnapping, conspiracy to commit murder. I mean, fuck, dude, the list just goes on and on. Maybe actual uh, murder, creating a giant oh. ass monster. Uh, what what about treason? He he blew up a. Uh... U.S. cap the the U.S. Capitol and murdered senators. Yeah, he is he he's a, he's got quite the rap sheet in this movie. Right, and you know it's 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 a trope in comics that you know Lex always beats the rap. You know he finds a way to buy his way. There is no amount of money that's going to get anybody. I, I mean, you know, look, it's one thing. It, it's a sad fact of our legal system that you know rich people have a funny way of. In some cases, literally getting away with murder. But this is just too much. I mean, there's no way. There's just no way, you know. And I kind of like the fact that, you know, we at least got corporate Lex at least a little bit. But, you know, I got to tell you, you know, the older I get, the less affection I really have for uh, the the post-crisis John Byrne type of Lex Luthor. I really do kind of like the mad scientist Lex Luthor a, uh, a, a lot a lot better and this kind of plays it both ways where now we're going to have both you know oh yeah we get lots of uh, different versions of Lex Luthor thrown into Jesse Eisenberg's you get the mad scientist you get a little bit of the politician Lex uh, you get a little bit of the business Lex uh, yeah so I, I, I like the way that they were able to uh, combine different elements of his character into into this one guy mm. very well yeah done. the um the idea that Luthor could be arrested and then just go about his daily life again after that is on the one hand, it's laughable. On the other hand, it's like, well, we see celebrities getting arrested all the time, but you don't really see like much of a return to the celebrity status after they're arrested. Um, the new 52 took a different spin on it, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Luthor's history in the current history is that he was, um, a corporate person, scientists, you know, companies, that sort of thing. And 
one time in, at one point in history, about a year ago, he was caught in his machinations and was arrested. And he was in prison from that point on all the way up to, you know, the beginning of the new 52 comics mm-hmm. and through the events of justice league storylines with forever evil and such, he was released from prison, cleared of charges. And since he helped save the day in that storyline, he was absolved and kind of put to hero status. Hmm. And so there, there are specific storylines that help remove him from the stigma of having been imprisoned. Um, but whatever they're going to do here, I don't think there's any way that, especially going back to the whole idea of the films being sort of a final statement on stuff. I don't think there's any way that Lex is going back to running LexCorp at this point. No, uh, I just don't see that happening. Uh, there was a cool scene in the ultimate edition that was not previously done, but had been released as a clip online. And that's when Lex Luthor is arrested. Mm-hmm. He's found in the ship talking to Steppenwolf yes. from Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Yes. So big dealings that, there. Yeah, yeah. There's big dealing. And I think there's that's the point where Lex comes into contact with other aliens and he says to Batman later that the bell has rung, the god is dead, they're coming from space. And yeah. um and yeah, again, everything he wanted to stop Superman for everything he accused Superman of being or feared Superman of being, he has now both created in Doomsday and invited in Darkseid. Ah, that's a good point. Did y'all notice that um, Pete Ross and Father Leone from Man of Steel were at the funeral? Yes, and uh, one of the things I really like about the Ultimate Edition is that there's a little bit of... Uh, the the funeral that he he pre, he presides over, um, we get to hear a little bit of him speaking and and yeah, I, I like that continuity. I think even Lana is supposed to be there at the funeral. She's in the credits. I think she's the woman, the dark haired woman with the kid, but I don't know for sure. But yeah, all of the uh, the Smallville people are represented. Right. Well, that kid's name it better be Ricky. That's all I know. <laughs> And also represented are so many casseroles. I mean, oh my God. In the Kent house, there's like 25 casseroles on their table. It's it's terrible. Yeah, well, yeah. leftovers for months. <clears throat> yeah. Good stuff. And then, um, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to mention the ring. If, the you're, ring. if you're ready to get it. No, there's a wedding wait, ring. No, that's, that's going to be a separate episode. I don't really do horror movies anyway. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That movie's pretty scary, too. I got very scared of that one. I do like I, that movie. I read the book it was based on. Yes, I would like to not talk about the movie The Ring, but I would like to talk about Lois's ring. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I get turned. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Do y'all think that was a step too far? Because I thought it was really sweet that he They've wanted to- They've been dating to- for a year and a half. Come on, man. I, look- I, look, I've been dating the same girl for like six years, and I'm, we are very close to, you know, shit or get off the pot territory, all right? So a year and a half, I'm not going to – no, no, that's fine. No, I got nothing to say there. <laughs> well, well, and it's an I – th- I took it mostly as an homage to the comic book version of Death of Superman because they – Lois and Clark were engaged. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I was, even though I think they kind of shoehorned horned it in a little bit like, oh, here's a package with the ring in it. Uh, but I can go with it because I like the idea that uh, Lois, she because she puts it on 
for the funeral when she's pouring the dirt onto the coffin, you can see very clearly and they make a point to show you in the shot that she's wearing the ring. So I like that. It, it means she said yes. So uh, I'm, I'm hope I'm, I'm not trying to get my hopes up that we'll see a wedding in justice league, but I, I like that they included that as an homage to the comics and also as, as a way for Lois to kind of continue on without Clark. She, she loves him that much that she would put that ring on. Um, the Superman who died in 2016. Yeah, 2016 um, is a Superman who was with Wonder Woman. And they also did a bit where he wanted to propose to her, but died before he could carry it out. Um, those comics were coming out right around the time this movie came out. I don't know if they preceded or, or, or came after. I didn't check dates, but anyways, so it's just more, you know, comics and movies talking back and forth. Um, Bruce Wayne brought us into the film and Bruce Wayne takes us out. Yeah. A funeral brought us into the film and a funeral takes us out. Yeah. And both, um, and both of those funerals changed him in, in a certain way and, and made him, uh, well, it really didn't make him, but it led him on a path to becoming Batman. And I think, the second funeral is kind of his rebirth into that light that he talks about in the beginning. So I like the the way that they, uh, you know, had the funerals at the beginning and the end. Very well done. Yeah. It's, but it's what were you What were you going to say, John? Oh, just, um, you know, Wonder Woman is, or, or Diane rather, Diana is standing there next to Bruce, and you know she's sort of ruse humanity. She's not that thrilled about the human condition um she mentions how she left a century of horrors behind and bruce says that men are still good and we've had this idea of good explored throughout the film and bruce's takeaway from it is that being good is all about the struggle to do better you know we will rebuild we will go forward um, and that's what being good is. Being good is whatever happened yesterday. We're going to try to build on that and do better about it today. And I just I thought that was a really great note to go out on because that's that's very that spoke to the humanist in me. Yeah, that's and it's reflected in Bruce's character that he's he's learned a lesson about how he can start over. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. You know, we, we can't be bogged down in the things that we did wrong all the time. We all we're always in a position where we can do better. <clears throat> well, the the thing about it that I kind of liked was that it was Clark's funeral that had all of the emotion. Superman's funeral had all of the pomp and circumstance. It had that snazzy looking coffin and everything, and all of which is completely symbolic. And it does actually kind of make you wonder about like what were the internal mechanics of. Uh, Bruce, I imagine, somehow getting his hands on Superman's body, you know, and all of that. Like, how did that work out, you know? <laughs> but um, I guess, like, apart from that, you know, the the real sentiment and, I guess, meaningfulness of this man's death, it's all summarized in, of all places, Smallville friggin' Kansas, you know? I mean, who saw that coming? And, I, don't, I mean... I, 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 that's sort of a comic book idea. I mean, the comics went a lot more extreme with it, where Superman's funeral was 
well, it's kind of a clusterfuck to tell you the truth, but it was they they definitely tried to give him a hero's burial, but it's just hard to bury somebody as famous as Superman in a peaceful way. So, needless to say, all hell really did break loose in Metropolis. Whereas the best that the Kents could offer was burying some of Clark's old uh, toys from when he was a kid, and they would just have to content themselves with that. Couldn't even attend their own son's funeral. Yeah. And, you know, here... I like that this went the opposite direction. Yeah. It's... I don't know. It, it, it just kind of... Considering the name of the last movie was Man of Steel, this is who this guy is, it actually makes all the sense in the world that it would be done this way because, you know, Superman is obviously the marquee character, but it's Clark that's that's the real heartbeat, you know? And yeah. it's I think it's extremely effective, very well done. And, of course, then there's that last moment that teases Superman's return where the dust starts floating above uh, his coffin... And I don't know. I mean, the the fear that I had was that, you know, it's easy to bring Superman back to life, but bringing Clark Kent back to life is going to be a lot harder. So is the direction that Warner Brothers wants to go, is that going to be something more like where he's similar to Thor, where Thor is Thor full time? Is this guy going to be Superman full time? And, you know, Rebecca, you, you really did give me some encouragement on that. You know, don't abandon hope if they're smart enough to make a movie like this they're smart enough to put the puzzle back together again yeah so. i i i try i trust them enough to to realize that the clark kent part of him means a lot right you know it would kind of go against the grain a little bit but something that happens in a lot of comic stories that show superman's identity getting spoiled is he just comes up with another one hmm um Grant Morrison did a story in Action Comics where uh, Clark was believed to be dead. And so he went off and was a fireman named Joe something for a while. Um, and then through comic magic watches, he was able to put the genie back in the bottle. But um, they had a whole like, you know, Daily Planet staff sitting around the um, sitting around a diner telling Clark Kent stories. It was, it was actually a really touching bit of storytelling. But he could, especially since we're not going to have like, you know, an ongoing episodic TV show, he could just create another secret identity. Do, do y'all remember, because I, I haven't read, I, I read the death of Superman like the entire thing about oof, 12 years ago, and I haven't read the entire thing again since, so my memory is a little fuzzy, but I swear I thought in the comic book version, he has an obituary, and they somehow still made it okay for Clark to come back. I swear I thought that happened. He was caught in the rubble. That, uh, yeah. And he couldn't get out on his own because, but there was like, you know, an, an air pocket and he came out malnourished, but he came out. So it, it was like they thought he was dead, but he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. So it is a little bit harder because they did put the obituary in the paper and they do have a funeral, but most of the people at the funeral know his secret identity. So I think they could, except for maybe Perry and Jenny, but it's that's that's open to interpretation. But I th I think they could still make it work. Plus, if Lois and Clark are engaged, which I think Lois putting the ring on her finger means that they are, then I would like to see a Lois and Clark wedding. And you can't have Lois and Clark getting married without Clark Kent. So I don't know. I'm still very hopeful about it. 
I don't know, because I just read an issue of Lois Lane where Clark married Lois's dead body and it was really creepy and I don't want to talk about it. That's a little disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> we we don't know. We don't need to go into that. No, we don't. She wasn't really dead, but he thought she was dead. Um, but anyway. Oh, that makes it okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just letting the movie play in front of me. And after the funeral we do, the last thing we actually do is um, the violin helter-skelter moment of he's coming and the um, the painting upside down and everything else. So we actually end the movie on a bit of a weird note in the Ultimate Edition. Yes, we do. Well, and, you know, that kind of relates to the future. And I don't know. I mean, I'd kind of like to get the band back together so that we can talk about Justice League, you know. But uh, I guess we'll have to see how things play out there. But uh, I guess, like, for right now, do you guys have any uh, parting comments or remarks about uh, this movie that you haven't already tossed out? Well, for me, I, you know, I, I tweet about Batman v Superman on a daily basis. I've made YouTube videos about it. I've talked about it on podcasts and I'm really glad to be able to talk about it with you, you all, uh, for, for your show, Magnus. And so I, I've talked about it uh, quite a bit. And I think for me, and, you know, looking back on it, you know, in the last, I guess, year and a half, I have been really glad to see that a lot of people have changed. Well, I don't want to see a lot of people, but I've seen quite a few people change their minds about the movie and it's it's starting i think little by little little bit by little bit it's starting to become more appreciated i think um you'll still have those people who hate the movie and will never like it um but i saw this video uh uh, like a week ago week and a half ago of this guy um let me dig up his twitter name um if people want to go watch it but it's at game over greggy G-R-E-G-G-Y and he posted, somebody uh, retweeted it on my timeline and it's this guy, I don't know much about him but he was at this uh, conference or convention, RTX 2017, I don't know, I think it's a gaming thing and he's dressed as Wonder Woman for the panel he's one of the panelists and he stood up and he talked about how he thought Batman v Superman was a good movie I saw that and and then he jumps into the crowd, he crowd surfs and everybody's chanting Martha, Martha and I just thought that was one of the most, and I tried not to like get emotional and cry about it, but it was such a beautiful thing, I thought, because it was such a pure fan thing that somebody said, you know what? I like that movie and I don't care what you think about it. I like that movie and I'm going to say that. And I think a lot of people I've noticed have, you know, have come up to me or have tweeted me like, I thought I was the only person who liked this movie. You know, it, it was really nice to hear you talk about this because I didn't want to talk about it out loud because people, you know, people judge me for it. And it's really nice to be able to see like a year and a half later, even us having this conversation uh, for the podcast to be able to talk about it in such a way that is so productive um, and uh, is so uplifting. I thought the, talking to the two of you, I, I've been very. Um, encouraged by uh, speaking with you two uh, about this movie and I just think that it's nice to be able to see people embrace liking the movie embrace watching the movie because for so long I felt like it was just so hated beyond repair that people were ostracized for liking it 
And it's nice to be able to see that that may have, that, that might have started to change a little bit. So I really appreciate the opportunity to come and celebrate this movie a little bit with you all, ask questions about it, um, critique it, and just have a conversation about it. Because I think that that's what this movie wants us to do. It wants us to have a conversation about it. I couldn't agree more. All right, so before we say our, our uh, final goodbyes uh, but, and everything... But, but, but my thoughts... Oh, my bad. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to say that this is my favorite version of Superman, mm-hmm. but it is my favorite single work of Superman literature. And by that, I mean the Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman taken as a whole. Okay. Um, as a duology, this is my favorite Superman story. Um, it... As, as, as you can tell if you've listened to all 12 parts of this or however long it ends up being um, <laughs> this the film certainly resonates me resonates with me on an emotional level um, and when this comes out I'm going to be throwing it out to a lot of my friends who are not too keen on the film mm-hmm. so if you Mr. or Ms. Listener are listening to this at my request and you came into this not being keen on Batman v Superman, I would love for you to hit me up wherever you know me, Facebook or Twitter, and um, let me know if you had any thoughts about our thoughts that might have changed or affected your own thoughts. Anyways, um, I just want to say I appreciate the chance to come back and do this again. I've been secretly longing for it ever since the movie came out. But I didn't want to tell you what to do on your own show. So. <laughs> well, why not? Everybody else does. So, um, And Rebecca, I love that you were here. Um, you, you gave me new insights I had not had before. Um, I, I love podcasting with you. Um, I'm sorry that our Lois Lane recordings never saw the light of day. I haven't published any podcasts since my brother died last year, and I don't know when I will. So I just, it, it, I still have them. They might come out eventually, but I don't want you to take it as a personal slight. I apologize. No, but. that's okay. If, if anything, I enjoyed uh, spending that time with you. And um, and Magnus, I, I long for the chance to come and talk more Superman with you because it seems that whenever we get together to chat for an hour, we talk about Superman for about three days. Yeah, so, but, you know, I mean, look, any subject that's, like, really near and dear to you, it's kind of hard to, to, to put a timer on it, you know? So, you know, I don't want you to ever think that, like, that's our problem or anything, so. But anyway, so before we, uh, you know, say our final goodbyes and everything, uh, uh, Rebecca, why don't you go ahead and go first. Just tell everybody where it is that they that they can find you. Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's probably the best p- place if you want to contact me. Um, I'm at DerbyKid. That's D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D. Uh, I'm also a co-host of a podcast called Supergirl Radio. You can find us at SupergirlRadio.com. And I, if you want to see any of the videos that I've made about Batman v Superman, I, I like I said, I think I mentioned uh, earlier on in our conversation that I have a few more that I need to make. I've been kind of put, putting it off because I've been off on vacation and things like that. But I am getting to them. I am going to finish my series. But I do have a, a series on Batman v Superman talking about what I love about the movie because I know a lot of people have talked about what they hated about it. So I'm going to talk about what I love about it. So if you want to see that, you can go to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. It's kind of a weird thing, uh, but it's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And if you're wondering about the duck milk thing, I do have a little explanation of what that means to me in the trailer 
on my YouTube channel. So uh, if you want to see any of those videos uh, that Magnus mentioned earlier, uh, you can go to my YouTube channel and check them out. And I highly recommend that you do. So, uh, John, you've said that you've been kind of on hiatus lately, but uh, at least where can people find some of your old stuff? Um, my old stuff is currently not up anymore. Um, I, I haven't paid the bill, but I do tweet prolifically about comics at, at John Reads Comics on Twitter. No H in John, no H in Reads Comics. Um, <laughs> so feel free to drop me a follow there. Um, and you know, let me know what you think about Batman v Superman or about any of the random comics that I read that I tweet about. Uh, right. I like I like to geek out. Cool. All right. Well, I just want to thank both of you for uh, joining in and giving me what is closing in to be over six hours of your time. You know, this was a lot of fun. Had a blast doing it. And um, as to the rest of you listeners, you know, I'm not sure when. I'm sure I will at some point, but I'm not sure when I'm going to come back to uh, Trinus Magnus Jabs reality, but I'm um, being as it's an irregular thing to begin with anyway, it's not like I, I have any deadlines to meet, so yay for small favors, I guess. But anyway, so I think that's pretty much it for me, at least for now. So bye, everybody. I will see you next time. We are.